Uh, as I said, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. We're continuing in our series uh, on our mission statement, uh, Green Tree's mission statement. We're taking about, about nine weeks and just taking a look at what we say we believe and what we say we'll be about and asking the question, are we, are we still believing that and is that still what we uh, are about? So when's the last time that you, uh, you discovered something and you got really excited about it and you just wanted to share it with other people. You think whether it was a, a new friend you made or perhaps a new product uh, that you've discovered that's you know, just the end-all, be-all. I was having a cigar. I'm going I'm to call you out this morning. I was having a cigar Friday afternoon with my buddy Chris Kerr. There's nobody sitting behind you, Chris. And uh, we were having a cigar, and it was getting to be about 5, 5.30 in the afternoon and getting close to dinner. Uh, and he said, oh, I'm going down to this place called Duck Inn Market. Uh, and it's a buddy of mine that's opened it up, and I've been helping him work and getting ready, and this guy's a great chef. He makes great food, and I'm like, I'm kind of getting hungry listening to him talk. I'm like, I'm following you down there. I, I, I want to learn about the Duck Inn Market. So we go to the restaurant hotbed of the Midwest, right? So we're in Valley Park. <laughs> the people of Valley Park are grossly offended that y'all just laughed at them. And we find it's, it's in the corner of St. Louis and 4th, right? And we pull in, and it's, it kind of looks like just a little hole-in-the-wall market. But then the guy piled us up with a to-go plate that was truly remarkable. And I'm so excited. So he didn't even pay me to say this. Go to the Duck Inn Market and, uh, and, and try their fried chicken. I had to peel the skin off because of the diet thing I'm doing, but it was still really good. And I stole a little bit of the outside, and that was really, really good. Um, but they have, like, red beans and rice. They have gumbo. He's got all kinds of stuff. It's just amazing, okay? A Acts chapter 4. Let's, let's look at the Bible now for a little while. I'm trusting you'll be able to connect the dots between what I just said and what I'm about to say. Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 13. This is the Word of God, and He's speaking to us. This is the eternal creator of the universe who wants to have a conversation with, with you and me. So hear His Word to us this morning. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired. So let me stop there for a second. The they that are, that are kind of being uh, questioned here are Peter and John. Peter and John were two of Jesus' 12 disciples. They're now the apostles. Uh, this is shortly after Jesus has ascended into heaven and Peter and John, along with the rest of the disciples, uh, apostles, are in Jerusalem, and they're telling everybody about Jesus. They, they just can't be quiet about Jesus. So these religious leaders are like, come on in here because we heard about something that happened yesterday, and we want to have a conversation with you. So that's the setting, right? So they come, they call them in, and they say this, uh, the end of verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well." This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. 
and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to your word. We thank you for your love for us that is unconditional. It is undeserved. None of us could possibly begin to earn that love, and it is freely given in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the scripture that is before us today, and that is manifested, that is, that is brought alive by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, all of this is your doing of kindness. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us this morning. We don't need my words. We don't need my comments. Lord, we need your eternal truth, and it is that for which we pray. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching today. We pray in your name. Amen. Uh, well, as I've mentioned the last uh, couple of weeks ago, my sermon in a sentence for this series is our mission statement. So just kind of get it back in your mind if you've been a member of Green Tree for a while, but you've kind of forgotten it, or if you're new, this is kind of what the, the new church you're checking out. This is what we hope that we are about, to know Jesus Christ, to serve him in joyful obedience, and to make him known. That's what we're going to cover this morning. That's why that's underlined. By growing disciples, renewing communities, and planting churches. So our first Sunday, we talked two weeks ago, we talked about to know Jesus Christ. And then last week, Pastor Corbett led us all through to serve him in joyful obedience. And then starting next week, we'll begin to look specifically at each of those three items. So next Sunday, we'll jump into the first part of growing disciples. But for our time this morning, what we're keenly interested in is what does God's word say about making Jesus known? Uh, not just knowing him, not just being uh, in a relationship with him, but making him known. So if you look at it this way, I'll give you maybe kind of a different angle on it. If we know Jesus by faith, right? So that's how you know Jesus. You know Jesus by faith. You're trusting that he is the son of God who, who has come to save you and redeem you from your sins and give you eternal life. So if we know him by faith, then we follow him out of love. Our, our loyalty is based on love for what he's done for us. But it's also based on the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see that in this passage this morning. So it's by that transforming power that we follow him, but also, if that's the case, if those two first things are true, then our lives will reflect that. Our lives, our words will make him known. So it's kind of something where it, it almost just happens to you. Now, I, I, I like the duck-in market, and if anybody ever asks me where it'd be a good place to, you know, just kind of go get some good carry-out, I'll tell them that, and, and it'll be just natural to me, because I've, I've been there now, and I've tasted their food. How natural is my relationship with Jesus in the sense that I, I, I'm embedded in it, it's transforming my life, and so what naturally comes out in the way I think, in the words I use, in the life I live, what comes out that would make him known to myself and to those around me. That's what we want to look at this morning in this text. I want to give you four observations that I believe reinforce that. The first is this. Peter and John made Jesus known through an act of mercy, right? So Peter says he's filled with the Spirit of God. He's empowered by Jesus to represent him, to make him known. And he says this, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? So Peter is acknowledging that the reason they're asking him questions is that something pretty significant happened the day before, and it was a head-scratcher. The leaders aren't quite sure how this all came about, but what they're scratching their heads about was an act of mercy. It was an act of kindness and compassion. 
So if you go back to what we call Acts chapter 3, the chapter right before this, and you look at the first few verses, you find that Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They're going to church, and they're going to worship. And as they're walking into the temple, there's an area where beggars sat on a regular basis because beggars kind of went, maybe people that love God are also merciful people. I wonder where that idea came from, right? And so there are people that are sitting there, standing there, and they're, and they're asking for help. This particular man couldn't walk that Peter encounters, and, and he woke up that morning, same as he always had, not being able to walk, and his job, the way he kept body and soul together was to beg. Now think about that for just a minute. Think about not if you couldn't decide where you wanted to go to lunch today, but what if you didn't have any resources for that lunch? What if you didn't have a home in which to live? What if the only way you could get a meal was by begging that someone would be merciful to you. Think of the lack of dignity in that person's life. Think of how harmful it is emotionally and spiritually to, to sit next to people walking by. People like you and me, who when they see those folks, our tendency is to try to get in the other lane and hope the light doesn't turn red, right? Because we don't want to be around them. Think about the other side of the coin. Think about how they feel when, when we're walking into Bush Stadium to see a ball game and they're there and they, they need a few bucks and we just we try to get lost in the crowd so we don't feel guilty because we don't really want to be all that merciful to them, right? We want to want to judge them as some way being less than what they should be. Think of the indignity that that man felt every day of his life. And so here come Peter and John. And Peter kind of kind of says what we oh gosh i don't have any change i'm sorry i forgot i'm broke i have no silver i have no gold but i have mercy and here's the mercy i have here's what i give to you in the name of jesus of nazareth jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk and then in verse 8 of chapter 3 and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising god i'm pretty sure that man did not expect that kind of mercy that day but peter looked at his need and he met that need through faith in christ he was merciful how often do you and i make jesus known simply by acts of mercy simply by looking at the world through the compassionate lens that the gospel brings and saying, you know, there's somebody, I can do something about that. I can help that one person. I might not be able to help everybody, but I can do something about that circumstance. I would dare say that pretty much every day or at least every week of our lives, we have the opportunity to make him known through mercy. And Peter jumps at the opportunity to make Jesus known. I want to read for you a few sentences by Bishop Tomlinson, who's Bishop of Sandhurst in Ireland, on this topic of God's mercy. Seeing mercy as an action word invites reflection. Mercy has been seen by some as a kind of privilege that I could grant to someone else, even though they may not deserve it. However, mercy is at the heart of all Christian beliefs, stretching back to the Old Testament, when God revealed himself as one who had never ceased to show mercy to his people. Then in the New Testament, Jesus was the embodiment of God's mercy. Living out God's mercy in our lives is not about a gift, which is at our discretion. We hand out and measured, uh, measured by our terms. God's mercy is something we receive in measures which go way beyond any of our merits. He is the father of the prodigal son who is out looking and waiting. And when he sees his son returning, the father welcomes him, robes him, and prepares a feast. Our world needs that concept of mercy. We live in a world that is calculating and measuring. 
According to Dublin's Archbishop Martin, our world and our church need a new resurrection of the sense of mercy. Because ours is a faith of resurrection where God's activity is not that of humiliation, but of rising up and enabling and encouraging and giving new hope and new vision. When's the last time that I, that I stopped and looked at my life as a, as a pathway to make Jesus Christ known through mercy? It's not passive. Sometimes it's difficult. It's rarely convenient. It always costs up something. And yet one of the, the, the most fundamental ways we can make Jesus known is through acts of mercy. This table, we're about to celebrate communion in a few minutes, represents the mercy, represents the way that Jesus made himself known to this world. Peter and John made him known through mercy. Secondly, Peter and John made him known through proclamation. Look at verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. So, so Peter isn't saying, now I want you to try to read between the lines here. I'm going to be kind of subtle and kind of coy. He says, let it be known. This is kind of the, the, the old town crier, right? Hear ye, hear ye. Everybody sit up and pay attention. This is a proclamation. It's not opinion. It, 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 it's based on fact, right? The name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Peter and John were not mincing words. They wanted to make sure that people could know the claims of Jesus. So if you're wondering what Jesus claimed, right? You think Jesus probably claimed to be a, a, a prophet. No, he didn't. Jesus claimed to be a really good teacher. No, he didn't. Jesus claimed to be the son of God in the flesh, the redeemer of mankind, and the only hope for this world. And Peter and John are making that proclamation. They are staying faithful to the proclamation of Jesus. Winston Churchill was probably the most amazing statesman of the 20th century, person that I've studied just as armchair historian, not with any, with any technical genius, but I've just studied him over the years. And one of the things that has been said about Churchill as you look back and reflect on his life is how he proclaimed the coming of the Second World War, how he proclaimed before anybody else was really paying serious attention the threat that the Nazis actually posed. I'm gonna read just a tiny bit of a speech he gave in November of 1934, which is a full four years before hostilities really began on the European continent, a full six years before the Battle of Britain. Churchill says this, and this is just part of this speech. After all, my friends, only a few hours away by air, there dwell a nation of nearly 70 million of the most educated, industrious, scientific, disciplined people in the world who are being taught from childhood to think of war as a glorious exercise and death in battle as the noblest fate for man. There is a nation which has abandoned all its liberties in order to augment its collective strength. There's a nation which, with all its strength and virtue, is in the grip of a group of ruthless men preaching a gospel of intolerance and racial pride, and unrestrained, which is unrestrained by law, by parliament or by public opinion. In that country, all pacifist speeches are forbidden or suppressed and their authors rigorously imprisoned. From their new table of commandments, they have omitted, thou shalt not kill. It is but 20 years since these neighbors of ours fought almost the whole world and almost defeated them. Now they are rearming with the utmost speed 
and ready to their hands is the new lamentable weapon of the air against which our navy is no defense and before which women and children, the weak and the frail, the warrior and the civilian, the frontline trenches and the cottage home all lie in equal and impartial peril. For with this new weapon has come a new method, namely the possibility of compelling the submission of nations by terrorizing their civilian population. And worst of all, the more civilized the country is, the larger and more splendid its cities, the more intricate the structure of its civil and economic life, the more it is vulnerable at and at the mercy of those who may make it their prey. Now, these are the facts hard and grim indisputable facts in the face and in the face of these fa facts i ask again what are we to do that's a proclamation right there brothers and sisters that is a bold statement he was pulling no punches he was on a mission to to proclaim the danger that lay before the nation of great britain and in fact all of the world uh, several years before anybody else was willing to kind of pull their heads out of the collective sand and take a look at what was actually going on around them. Peter and, and John are making a proclamation. It is by Jesus of Nazareth. That is how they make him known. Thirdly, they make him known not just by mercy and proclamation, but they make him known through clarity. Look at verses 11 and 12. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Chip uh, read part of that in his call to worship this morning. It's also found in the prophet Isaiah, this notion of Messiah being the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby, by which we must be saved. Uh, the cornerstone is a, is a key to that, but also notice what, what Peter is saying unequivocally, being incredibly clear. This is the only Savior. There is no other as if God were here to lay out a smorgasbord for us, as if he were our, our servant saying to us, how can I serve you? How can I make you feel good? Which one would you like to choose? Instead of understanding the truth and the reality of this world, which is we have broken it by our sin and our rebellion against God, and in doing so, not only have we, have we angered rightly, uh, a righteous God, but we have brought great harm to our relationships with one another. My very best friend in the world, Bruce Owens, says to me on a fairly regular basis, it's really good you're a Christian. I wouldn't want to know you if you weren't a Christian, right? And that's my best friend, right? And my wife standing next to him goes, you know, he's got a fair point there, right? Okay. I'm a bad guy apart from Christ. I'm not a good guy who stumbled into the ministry and now I get to show you all my virtues. I'm a rotten sinner. I deserve the punishment and the wrath of God. And if you haven't heard this before, wake up, so do you. And yet God is merciful. We need somebody to give clarity to the deepest spiritual concern of our lives because that clarity brings life. It brings mercy. It brings grace. It brings forgiveness. This proclamation given with clarity makes no bones about it. Jesus is the name by which we must be saved. There are a lot of confusing messages in the world. I went out in search of confusing messages this week and found a whole bunch of them. I'm just going to show you a handful of them, right? Uh, why is it when you go to a restaurant, you ask for the check, they bring you the bill instead, right? It's like, I didn't ask for a bill, I asked for a check, right? I do that every once in a while, and Cindy kind of puts her head down and says, I don't know why I'm with them in public. It's kind of embarrassing. You know, my sense of humor is a little warped, right? Uh, if you try to fail and succeed, which have you done? Have you failed or have you succeeded, 
right? Doesn't expecting the unexpected make the unexpected expected. There's a good one to chew on for a little while. What's the opposite of opposite, right? It's actually identical. That's, that's what's the opposite. I looked that one up to double check it. Can atheists get insurance for acts of God? I appreciate that one. That's a, that's a, you, but it's not, you got to muddle through it. It's not quite clear, right? Peter's not having none of that, right? There's no other name under heaven given to humanity whereby we must be saved. They make him known through clarity. And my fourth observation in this text is Peter and John make him known because they knew him. Look at verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness, these, these religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John, and then they stopped and said, wait a minute. They perceived they were uneducated common men. These guys are fishermen. And, until three, three and a half years ago, they, they were just plain ordinary guys. They, you know, hey, I went to rabbi school. Did you see them in rabbi school? No, they weren't there. These, these are uneducated guys, right? They were astonished. How can this possibly be that they, they can speak this way? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So for somewhere between three and three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry, you can go back, read the Gospels, Peter and John are all over it, right? 24-7, right? Morning, noon, and night. Jesus is out teaching. They're sitting right there listening, right? Jesus is in the boat. They're putting the sail up. Jesus is performing a miracle. They're right next to him, scratching their heads, going, how on? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, they see it all. They're in it all. And through that process, a lot of Jesus rubbed off on them. Jesus' influence became the controlling influence of their life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the resurrection, Peter and John are now the, the ablest spokespeople for making Jesus known. But it was because they knew him. It was because they had been with him. Every once in a while, somebody will say to me, I can see Cindy's influence in your life. And, and they're saying it in a good way, right? They're saying it in a positive way. They're, they're complimenting me. And I appreciate that compliment because I don't have respect. There's nobody in the world I respect more than my wife, Cindy, right? So when they say I see Cindy's influence, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it'll work out okay, right? But when do people look at my life and they say, you know, based on the last 10 minutes, it's pretty clear to me that you've been with Jesus, right? That's a whole different ballgame. But that's what's going on here, and that's what's promised to us in this passage. Peter and John were fishermen. They were blue-collar guys. They were uneducated guys, right? So there's nobody here that, that, that falls below that, right? How do you fall below being uneducated? <laughs> that, there's another one of those quick, crazy questions to think about, right? Every person in this room who's a disciple of Jesus can make Jesus known if we're willing just to be with him, to be in his word, not just here on Sunday mornings, but to study his word to join with him in prayer, to experience his presence in our lives. Because when that influence begins to transform us, one of the things that will happen is we will begin to make him known. Why? Because we make known that which impassions us. We make known that which transforms us. We make known that which really brings joy in our lives. So uh, a couple of Friday nights ago, Cindy and I went to Kirkwood High School to the, to the musical. And it was delightful. It was wonderful. Georgia, where are you? You, you were such a, nobody else is going to understand that. You were a great monkey. I mean, that was off the charts. Unbelievable. That's actually a compliment I'm playing there. I know it doesn't make sense. Um, but the next morning I put on Facebook, hey, if you're not doing anything tonight, go to Kirkwood High School and see the play. It's really wonderful. Why did I do that? Because I had experienced it. Because I'd seen it firsthand. I thought that was really good. Is that the impact that Jesus has on my life? Is that the impact that Jesus has on your life? They were like, I just can't wait 
to get out there, not in an obnoxious way, not in a rude way, but I, I just want to share him with others. I want to make him known. It's one thing for it to be part of our mission statement, brothers and sisters. It's quite another thing for you and I to actually live that day in and day out with all of our flaws, with all the ways we'll get it wrong, but, but to live that by his grace and by his mercy, to commit ourselves to make him known. So if you looked in your bulletin, there, there's a little section in there that, that kind of asks a couple of questions. And you can, you can take this as homework if you like. Uh, but I'd like for all of us to think about it a little bit over the next week. I, we post some questions in there based on this, this text of Scripture. The first is this. What if you just sat down and made a list about, what do I know about Jesus? Now, you'd probably need more room that's in, that, in the program. But I would encourage you to actually maybe every day this week, Sit down and add a couple things to that list. What do I, I think you would be surprised if you've been a disciple of Jesus for a while. I think you'd be surprised at what that experience has taught you. But I think it's important that we stop and think about what do I know about Jesus? Because there may come a no, moment where I've really, I really know something about the, the grace of Jesus and somebody else needs grace. That's transferable. I can make him known. Secondly, name one person you know who needs practical mercy, a practical mercy that you can offer in Jesus' name right? So if somebody needs a new house, I'm probably not going to be able to do that for them, right? I don't have the wherewithal to go get somebody a new house. But there are a lot of things that, that I can give in mercy, and I ought to give in mercy. But am I going to be intentional about it? Am I going to think about those people that I could impact and offer mercy in Jesus's name? And, and get that last part too, because if you do an act of mercy to somebody and they're aware of it, they know you did it, what do they typically do? They typically thank you, right? Thank you so much for that. And that's where you get to do the kind of the false humility thing, like, oh, shucks, gee, no, don't think anything of it. But I'm glad you stumbled on the fact that I'm an amazing human being, right? That's kind of, kind of how we tend to react when our reaction ought to be let me tell you about the person who showed me more mercy than anybody has ever shown me. And it's the only reason I'm being merciful to you right now, because I'm a recipient of that grace. And do it in Jesus' name. And thirdly, how do you want Jesus to rub off on you this week? Now, I don't mean by that, and some of you are very good theologians, don't come after me after the service saying, Jesus isn't supposed to rub off on us. He's supposed to be our Lord and our Savior. I get that. But what part of your life really needs some spiritual attention right now? I've been praying about that lately. And one of the words that came to mind, things, something that I need, is I think I need more patience. But I don't need Tom's patience. I need, a, I need God's patience. I need the patience of Jesus. So as I read the word, where do I see Jesus' patience in a way that, that he's keeping in mind the big picture and he's working towards that end and he's at peace. And, and, and he's living in a way that reflects a divine patience. I want that in my life. So it, that might be the same for you, or it might be something else, but where's there in my life something like, Lord, give me, give me more of this specifically, because clearly I see that I need it. As we grow in Christ, as we wrestle with this thing called grace that is so remarkable and so free, we're called collectively as a congregation, and we're called individually to make him known. Will we do that? Will you pray with me? Father, if you didn't make Jesus known to us, we would not know him. We would still be lost. Someone took time to tell us about Jesus. Father, I thank you that the founders of Green Tree Community Church saw the importance of that phrase in our mission statement and were intentional to remind us that it's not just about knowing Jesus, it's not just about joyful obedience, but it's about being a witness for him. 
It's about making him known. And so, Lord, I pray for us as a congregation that this just wouldn't be something that uh, we read every once in a while and sounds really nice, but rather that it would be a result of the transforming work that your spirit and your word are doing in our lives. Father, thank you for this table as a representation of you making yourself known to us through the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice, his gift to us. And as we come now to celebrate that, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified. And we pray in your name. Amen.